He really hits that one. Oh, that is just sensational from Luis Figo. And then Ronaldo! Champions of Europe 2016. Hello and welcome to episode number two of the Portuguese Football Show, brought to you by Prosima Jornada and hosted by me, Aaron Barton. We have a great show in store for you today, including the usual Premier League roundup, the transfer speculation, the Portuguese abroad, and we are also delighted to be joined by Portuguese football expert and founder of Portugal, Tom Cundit. <laughs> To start this week's episode, we go over to Portugal for the Premier League roundup. It was a bit of a collector's item this week in Portuguese football, in that none of the top four teams managed to win, something that doesn't happen very often. And we're better to start than with league leaders and the first game of the match week, Sporting, they took on Rio Ave. And who better to speak to than Portuguese football expert Tom Cundit, who was at the match reporting on behalf of Portugal. I'm delighted to be joined by you today, Tom. Not only a close friend, but one of the best brains of Portuguese football around. Thank you for coming on the show. No problem, Aaron. Good to speak to you again. And, uh, you know, I'd like nothing more than speaking about Portuguese football. So, yeah, let's go for it. I was in the stadium. I went to see the game and it was... Uh, I have to be honest, it was like quite a few of Sporting's games recently, Sporting's games, they have gone a little bit off the boil. But this was definitely the worst, I think, the least inspired Sporting have been. And of course, they've surprised everyone this season with how well they've done and how, you know, especially the results they've been getting and and most of their, you know, most of the performances they've put in. You know, nobody, I don't think anyone, Aaron, certainly you wouldn't have for anyone who takes a, a, you know, a big interest in Portuguese football, uh, would have guessed that after 14 rounds, Sporting would be four points clear at the top of the table. So, you know, it was, uh, it was expectations were, have, have been completely exceeded this season. That said, it, this was a big disappointment, uh, you know, a very big disappointment for Sporting fans because it was weekend of the classical, of course. And so Sporting knew that whatever... You know, as long as they won the game and, you know, home game against Rio Ave, you really expect to win that. They'd be making up points, either, uh, you know, three points on, on Benfica or, or Porto or two points on both of them, <laughs> which, of course, uh, is, is what it would have been if they'd, if they'd managed to win. So, yeah, a very big disappointment that they, they didn't get the win. But you have to say they didn't deserve it, really didn't play well, just never got going. Uh, you know, very kind of flat performance. It was literally just about maybe five minutes uh, before half time when they they had their best spell and they you know they, they managed to get the breakthrough, scored the goal, and uh, could have scored. Uh, you had a couple of chances to extend the lead straight afterwards, and so half time people thought, okay, you know from the sporting perspective, uh, didn't play very well, but you know keep keep that up in the second half. The way they ended the first half, keep that up in the second half, and it should be three points, but. Second half, as soon as it kicked off, Sporting again seemed to go into their shell, just 
really uninspired uh, right throughout the team. Of course, they had quite a few changes for from uh, COVID-19 had deprived them of, of some of their key players. Um, and that really showed. And Rio Ave came back. Uh, they actually had their best spell, I'd say, the first 15, 20 minutes of the second half. Uh, yeah. Got the equaliser, completely deserved. Very, very good goal. Really well worked. Really, Sporting just didn't do enough to to try and get the win after that. I think it's actually quite strange that uh, Francisco Geraldes at that point was, you could say, almost running the game. He was definitely the most yeah. dangerous player on the pitch. And yeah. it was, I was quite surprised when he was taken off. And... Uh, you know, apparently the, the coach afterwards said that, you know, he's been, he hasn't, he's not at full fitness. And so it was more of a precautionary measure. But, uh, you know, I think from Sporting's point of view, they're probably pleased to see the back of him because at that point you have to say that uh, perhaps Rio Alba looking more likely to win the game. And so, uh, you know, it ended up as a draw. Very disappointing for Sporting. Yeah, I 100% agree, especially regarding uh, Chico Geraldes. I think he had a really, really good game. Um, yeah, he was running the show until he until he got took off, and then obviously the three ex Sporting Easters combining for the goal: Carlos Mane, uh, Chico Geraldes, and obviously uh, Gilson Dalla with the finish. Now, Tom, just to go back on a point that you made earlier regarding this perhaps being the worst performance of the season so far, and the performances slightly waning in recent weeks and months. Do you think the biggest threat to the title charge is what's going on outside of the starting 11 so the strongest 11 because obviously for this game they had a lot of absentees out they had the likes of Andres Sparar out and Nuno Mendes who's been so important so far this season do you think that as the season goes on squad depth may become a little bit of an issue whereas the likes of Porto and Benfica perhaps have bigger squads or at least more experienced squads I mean for this game we saw Eduardo Caresma come in, the likes of Thiago Tomas starting up front. Do you see that being a factor uh, in the title race as the weeks and months go on? Yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt, because uh, I agree with you 100%. Very good sporting, uh, you know, first 11, and actually a very settled team it's been. You know, I think it's been one of the secrets, really, of why they've done well this season. And like you said, no European football, you know, they got knocked out even before the group stage of the Europa League. So while uh, Benfica and Porto and even Braga, of course, they've, they've had to play, you know, those six extra games now playing, you know, in an already condensed season. They were really fit, having to fit in a whole lot of football, uh, sporting, got off a bit light, lightly on, on that front. And it, it certainly did help them, you know, a whole week to prepare for, for all their matches. But you're right, you know, this... Uh, like I said just a while ago, nobody expected really Sporting to to be challenging for the title this season. And uh, I think uh, you have to remember, it's almost a completely new team. you know. And I think it's quite interesting. People talk about Sporting's, uh, you know, uh, Ruben Amarin promoting youth. And, you know, that, I think you can say that's that's true to a certain extent. But I think it's a little bit of a fallacy to think that this is a really young team. You know, there's a lot of good experienced players in that team, the whole kind of spine of that team. If you look at the keeper, Antonio Adan, you know, look at the defenders, Fidal and Coates, uh, of course, and Neto. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's, that's the real kind of solid, that's a, that's a lot of experienced players in there. And that you yeah. know, gives them a really good basis to, to work on. And uh, But you're right, yeah, I think, uh, for instance, 
uh, Sporting really missed Nuno Mendes in this game. There's no doubt about it. You know, he he is the, the number one left back at Sporting. Uh, you know, arguably one of the best left backs or the best left back in uh, in Portugal, despite just being 18 years old. And there's a real drop off. You know, when when he's not in the team, you can tell that is really important to to Sporting's attacking play really more than anything. I think that Ruben Amorim has based this defence or built this team on just making it really solid. You know, hard to score yeah. again, first and foremost, and then just kind of taking it from there. And so, of course, him missing was, uh, that was a big blow. And you could see that when, when Sporting just kind of really lacked any kind of creativity and, uh, you know, just not getting it at all from the left. Uh, not that just wasn't functioning you know Nuno Santos and uh, Nuno Mendes they just combined so well on that left flank take one of them take one of them out it just you know wasn't working the same uh, also even up front I think what you were mentioning you really see it with the with the strikers because I think that's probably Sporting's weakest point definitely in comparison mm-hmm. to their main competitors yeah. uh, I think there's no doubt about it Sport, uh, Porto and Benfica and Braga I've got stronger centre forwards than Sporting. Uh, Thiago Tomás, you know, very promising young player, but still very green. And then you've got Sporar, of course, who's done reasonably well this season. And those two have managed to kind of get the job done. But quite often, you know, one starts and, you know, both of them, they're really hard workers, run themselves into the ground. Uh, Usually get subbed after, you know, 60, 70 minutes, the other one comes on. Uh, nice and fresh and you know can sometimes make a difference uh, Sporar was out because of COVID-19 and so Sporting really didn't have anywhere to turn to turn to to try and you know pep up their attack when things weren't working out on Friday so uh, so yeah no doubt about it you know that that could come back to bite them uh, Sporting that the kind of lack of depth Lack of squad depth, I'd say definitely in both fullback yeah. positions because uh, I'd say probably they're two fullbacks who could argue are two of their most important players. Certainly, they've been two of their most impressive players this season. And Nuno Mendes mm-hmm. and, of course, Pedro Porro on the other side. The Spaniard has also been an absolutely fantastic signing. And so, uh, you know, when those two, when either of those two are out, and it really makes a big difference. And then, uh, yeah, up front, I think that just really could do with uh, the reinforcement that everything that uh, that Ruben Amarina has said so far, you think that, you know, there's a good chance that that won't be happening in here. Just have to make do with what he's got. Some really good insight into the club there from Tom Cundit, someone who knows Sporting inside and out, and you can hear that when he speaks. He'll be sticking around, he'll be at the end of the show to answer some of the questions in the post box also. Um, but some real points to think about as well, and send in your thoughts as well for the following episode. What do you think about the potential issues facing Club and Amarim's side? Squad depth, obviously the lack of European football will help, uh, but as the season goes on, especially with no reinforcements in January, if that is to be the case, barring any surprises in the next couple of days or week or two. But we shall see how it goes on. The other two uh, are obviously very, very strong contenders and will be looking to pick up as many points as possible. They probably, it's fair to say, have got bigger squads, uh, have got deeper squads, 
And yeah, it's just a really, really interesting one. But let us know your thoughts. Hashtag the postbox. Get involved. Who do you think is the front runner? Do you think Sporting are in the title race? Do you think they've got what it takes to last the distance? Let us know. And now we go to a fixture that needs absolutely no introduction. Or Clásico between FC Porto and SL Benfica. This game finished 1-1. And this is a fixture that, even if the football isn't at its peak, it is a game that will always grab the headlines, whether it be for the on-field, tackles flying in, yellow and red cards, uh, frequent occurrence, and in this game, um, were definitely present, especially in that second half. Uh, whether it be the managers on the sideline, uh, the coaching staff getting involved, just a very intense atmosphere, and this one was no different. The first half, we saw two goals. Alejandro Grimaldo opened the scoring for Benfica uh, with a Seferovic assist. And shortly after, seven or eight minutes later, Musa Marega equalised. And I personally think, in that first half especially, it was nowhere near as cagey as recent derbies have been. It was you know, quite open. We had two teams that were playing at times quite deep and trying to hit the other one on the counter-attack. And then they'd switch it up play with a high line and try and counter that way. It was just very entertaining, very end-to-end. It was very basketball. Uh, it was a great watch for the neutral. And another interesting point is the first half, the game flowed quite well. There wasn't any yellow cards. Uh, referee Luis Godinho tried to keep a lid on the game. Um, could have could have brought out the yellow card a couple of times. Uh, Pizzi comes to mind. He he made f- three or four fouls. Um, and... and but as I say, the referee didn't want to, because once you give that first card, um, then it starts. And I think that's exactly what happened in the second half. Uh, we saw eight yellow cards in, in one half of football, including the red card. Uh, Mehdi Taremi's yellow card was changed after a VAR decision. Um, and on, on replay, it, it was a red card looking back. Uh, it was a dangerous challenge. And, and then I think as soon as that red card happens, you've still got... 15, 16, 17 minutes of normal time left to play. And then, obviously, the extra time as well. So, you know, you're talking nearly 25 minutes with a man down. So the game plan changes slightly for Sergio Conceição. It changes how he's thinking about his substitutes. And um, he's really starting to look at a point at home against uh, a title rival, a title contender. As, yeah, this is a good point. Um, if Medi Tanemi stays on the pitch, the game might end very differently for both clubs because I think if FC Porto go for it a bit more there's more of a chance for Benfica to hit them on the counter attack uh, and with the red card that allowed Porto to sit a little bit deeper and, and defend well which they did uh, and then ultimately it ended 1-1 uh, before the game going into the game you there was it all pointed towards a draw in honesty they came into it with identical records both had won 10 games both had drawn 1 both had lost 2 um, the Benfica have scored less than Porto but have also conceded less um, so they went into the game a draw at the end of the day they'll both take it um, maybe Benfica will be slightly disappointed that they couldn't make the man advantage count but going to Porto and coming away with the point is, is never a bad result especially in a, an unpredictable season which, which we're seeing this season Next is a fixture that I was really looking forward to and it didn't disappoint. It was two teams that I've been really impressed with this season and it's Passos de Ferreira and SC Braga. I was speaking last week on last week's show 
about how impressed I've been with Carlos Carvajal and how well he's got Braga playing, both in Europe and also domestically. And going into this game, it was never going to be a walkover for Braga. Passos de Freire have really impressed me under Pepe this season. Um, and a, we produced a piece last season. They went on a really incredible run of form. And yeah, they, they towards the end of the season, they really pulled themselves out of a tough spot. And I was really interested to see how they get on this season. They won the game 2-0. Um, they won convincingly. They're up to sixth place on 25 points. I mean, they're five clear of Vittoria beneath them, so you know they can afford themselves a little bit of poor form. But they've been fantastic this season. They've they're built on real defensive soundness. They they've only lost three games all season. That taken into context, that's less than Braga, uh, less than Vittoria, and it's only one more defeat than both FC Porto and Benfica on two. As I say, defensively, you know, superb. They've conceded 12 goals all season. Out of the entire top 10, it's only Sporting at the top spot who've conceded less with nine. You know, 12 goals, you know, conceding less goals than both Porto and Benfica. That shows that you're doing something right. And then they've got they've got great players up the other end of the field as well. The likes of Douglas Tank, who will always put up good numbers. And they share the goals around the, the team as well. They don't just rely on one person, which is brilliant to see. Their last foray into European football was in the 2012-2013 season under current AS Roma manager, Paolo Fonseca. They actually qualified for the Champions League. Uh, well, rather the Champions League qualification places. They finished third, uh, which is still to this day a club record achievement. Um, they lost a qualifier uh, to Zenit and they ended up playing the Europa League group stage, but still a fantastic achievement for a club of that size. And um, who knows, could be back in European football this season. Another game which I was really looking forward to watching, but unfortunately we didn't get the pleasure because it didn't happen, was the game between Vittoria and Ferenc. Uh This was a really intriguing fixture to me, going into it. Uh, two, two, two sides with real talisman in, in the likes of Marcus Edwards for Vittoria and, and Ryan Gold for Friends. Uh, both have made signings in the January transfer window and you know tried to bulk up the squad. And the game was called off. It was scheduled for the 16th and it was then postponed because of a layer of ice on the pitch uh, until the next day. Uh, same time, 6 o'clock kick-off. And they had the same problem again. Uh, there was a layer of ice on the pitch. We actually posted a video of uh, the referee testing the ice out and basically ice skating across this thick layer of ice on the top. So, um, yeah, unfortunately, the game didn't go ahead. Um, it's been rescheduled for uh, sometime next month in, in February. So, um, looking forward to that one. But, yeah, disappointed they didn't get to see it this weekend. Maritimo continued their recent resurgence under new manager Milton Mendes. They won again. They won 1-0 uh, away at Gil Vicente. This comes off the back of, of beating Sporting 2-0 in Natasa. Uh, and then obviously they had the good results against Rioav a couple of weeks ago, the 0-0 draw with Bovistad, and uh, obviously in between that was the 2-1 uh, defeat to Braga, but things are looking up for them today at the club. They're up to 8th in the table now on 17 points, um, just 3 points behind Vittoria in 6th place, so they've got Passos de Ferreira up next, which will obviously be a really tough test, but looking forward to seeing how that one plays out. 
two really buoyant sides at the moment. And I think Maritimo in particular have been really propelled by uh, Milton Mendes in charge of the team. He was the under-23 manager in his previous role. He's had eight games in charge of the senior side. He's won five, he's drawn one and he's lost two. That's in all competitions, but two wins um, in the cup, first of all uh, against Salgueiros and then beating Sporting as well, which is a massive accomplishment. You know, they're into the quarterfinals of that cup now. And as I say, they're doing well in the Premier League. They didn't start the season off fantastically well, but they're now putting points on the board and they're moving up the table. And then just to round off, Familia Cow got back to winning ways with uh, a really good 2-1 away victory at Santa Clara in the Azores. They did really, really well last season, but they've had the squad decimated and they're sort of rebuilding under Joao Pedro Sousa. They've brought in some players already in, in this transfer window, the winter transfer window, one of them being Ruben Vanagre, who is still contracted to Wolves, but most recently was playing on loan at Olympiacos in Greece. So yeah, great win there. Um, Nacional lost at home to Morinense, 1-0. Um, that was a good win for Morinense, who've been up and down so far. Um, if you look at the form table, they're very often uh, win, draw, loss, win, draw, loss, that kind of uh, consistent yet inconsistent form. Um, the table, I mean, they've won four, drawn five, lost five. So it's a pretty even split between the fixtures. They find themselves in seventh place, not a bad position, but they'll be looking to turn some of these, uh, some of those defeats into draws and some of those draws into victories if they can. And things continue to go from bad to worse for Boavista. They lost again, 3-1 to Tondela. Um, but it wasn't just a loss, it was two red cards within the first 30 minutes, which just completely throws the game plan out the window for Gesualdo Ferreira. He'll be thinking, what does he have to do to get this team playing? Um, they've drawn quite a few games since he came in, uh, so he stopped the rot, but they're still just not winning enough football matches. And for a team with as good a squad as they've got, they've, they've brought in some really good players, and we'll speak a little bit more about it in the post box. Uh, Ball Vista, but they've got to turn this form around uh, sooner rather than later and avoid being dragged into a relegation battle towards the end of the season. And you're looking at the table now, they're rock bottom on 11 points. Uh, I say getting drawn into a relegation battle because I still feel at the moment they've got enough in there to get out, but it's very, very tough. And the longer they, they stay down there and the longer they keep dropping points, the harder it's going to be towards the end of the season. Still only 14 games in at the moment, but they're nowhere near where they probably thought they should be or would be at the start of the season. Probably had their eye on European football. That's not been the case. And lastly, Porto Manense won 1-0 against uh, Bay Sad. It was a victory, a much-needed victory for Porto Manense. They've lost more games than anyone else in the league this season, but surprisingly find themselves in 12th out of 18th albeit they're only two points above the relegation zone. But when things are so congested at the bottom, uh, wins are the most valuable currency. And I'm sure they won't be too disappointed with their lack of draws if they can continue to walk away with three points as they did on this particular match day. for the Portuguese abroad we start off in the Midlands between Wolves and West Brom 
And just Portuguese players aside, it was a game that was filled with Premier League talents or ex-Premier League talents, should I say. Uh, Willy Bolly, formerly of Braga and Porto, gave away the penalty. It was then converted by Mateus Pereira, who was obviously uh, at Sporting. Then the equaliser was from Fabio Silva, his first goal from open play and uh, just a huge moment for him. The game, he just looked like he gained so much confidence from that for the rest of the game. Obviously, it ended up in defeat for Wolves, which for Nuno at the moment, it's not looking too good. Um, but it was a great moment, a personal moment for, for Fabio Silva, who has had so much heaped on his shoulders after the injury of Raul Jimenez and both the price tag and also the fact he's starting in the Premier League, neither of those things are his fault. He was brought in probably to play you know, 15, 20, 25 minutes here and there, cup matches, just give a bit of extra depth uh, and develop. You know, He's 18 years of age, he's not the finished article, he's far from it. But to see the celebration after he scored, uh, not only himself but the players around him, just ecstatic. And you can see how much it meant to him to finally get that goal from open play obviously following on from his first goal for the club from the penalty spot and then uh, Mateus Pereira was on hand to win the game as well for West Brom uh, he scored to make it 3-2 um, but to stay on the Portuguese players now we go over to Germany where you guessed it Andre Silva was once again on the score sheet for Eintracht Frankfurt he's in some really incredible form at the moment I spoke last week on the first episode of the Portuguese football show about him and him being uh, an option for Fernando Santos going forward, someone that's a recognised striker, someone that knows where the back of the net is. And towards the end of last week, I said, the only thing he can do is continue putting the ball in the back of the net. And as a footballer, as a striker, that's his, that's his aim, that's his prerogative, that's what he's got to do. And that's what he is doing. Another goal, 3-1 win against Schalke. Uh, he's linked up with uh, new striker, well... Old new striker, Luka Jovic, who's now back at Frankfurt, on loan from his parent club, Real Madrid. Um, both players played up together, uh, both Jovic and Silva. Um, he came on for uh, Eric Dame, which allowed Silva to stay on the pitch and them to forge a little bit of a partnership up front. Uh, Jovic went on and scored two goals uh, to, to cap off 3-1 victory. It was good to see Silva back on the score sheet. It was good to see Jovic back on the score sheet and uh, a player there who Silva can perhaps form a partnership with. Silva's lost a few centre-forward partners in recent times, both Gonzalo Paciencia, who moved on to Schalke, and then also the departure of Bastos. So Jovic is another option, and uh, hopefully he brings the best out of Silva and vice versa. And now moving away from players and looking at a manager who's currently playing his trade in South America with Palmeiras, it's Abel Ferreira, and he has recently qualified for the Copa Libertadores final taking Palmeiras to the final for the first time since the year 2000. They've only won the Copa Libertadores once in 1999, and it becomes the second successive Portuguese manager to reach the final, after Jorge Jesus reached the final last season with Flamengo. This is a, an incredible achievement. They won the first leg against River Plate 3-0. And in all honesty, it could have been a lot worse for River Plate going into that second leg. The second leg itself, Palmeiras, with a team who could count themselves a little bit lucky to qualify, they were beaten 2-0 and also went down to 10 men. But River Plate had a lot of decisions go against them. And as I say, they were slightly fortunate to end up qualifying for the final. But the main thing for Abel Ferreira and the main thing for Palmeiras is that they're there. 
one of the most impressive things about Abel Ferreira's time at Palmeiras is he's got them playing well in all competitions. They're not just reserving the great performances for the Copa Libertadores, for example. They're also flying in the Brasileiro. They're up to fifth now. And their last defeat came on the 20th of December. So they're on a really good run. Just six points off Sao Paulo in the top spot. And they're also into the final of the Copa do Brasil after beating America Mineiro 3-1 in the last game. They'll play Grêmio in the final, which will be a really entertaining watch. But it's a chance for him to get his hands on at least two pieces of silverware. Both the Copa Libertadores and the Copa do Brasil are just one match away, respectively. And then in the Brasileiro, who knows? They're in, they're in there. They're in the conversation, as I say, just six points off. We know how quickly things can change in football and how form can fluctuate. But at this moment in time, they're playing very, very well. They've got Flamengo away next in the Brasileiro, which is a really difficult fixture. There's just one point separating them. Flamengo are in fourth. So a win against Flamengo, that's a real sign of intent. That's three points. That will take them up to 54 points. And it's beaten a rival, and it'll be those games against those teams around them that will really dictate where they end up at the end of the season. But there's still plenty more football to come. And let's hope Abel Ferreira can replicate Jorge Jesus and, and win the Copa Libertadores as well. It's great to see Portuguese managers playing not only in Portugal, but outside and representing the nation well and winning silverware, which is what it's all about at the end of the day. So a massive good luck to Abel Ferreira in both finals. If you want to catch them, the Copa Libertadores final isn't far away at all. It's on the 30th of January against Santos. That's just a one-legged final in the Libertadores. Whereas the Copa do Brasil... That kicks off on the 11th of February. They take on Grêmio away. And then the second leg of the final is on the 17th of February. I, for one, can't wait, particularly for the Copa Libertadores final. So really looking forward to that one. And now it is time for hashtag the postbox. This is the time where you get to get your opinions, questions, and contributions heard. All you have to do is hashtag the postbox and send in a tweet at prosimajornada1 or send in an email to contact at prosima-jornada.com. Get yourself involved, get your questions heard, get your opinions heard. Myself and whoever the guest is that week will do our best to answer the questions and talk about some of your talking points and just have a general discussion so as i say make sure you get involved for the next episode tom Cundit, who joined us at the beginning of the podcast to talk about sporting will now join us for the post box also the first question is from scott martin and he says does sporting's lack of continental play give much of a league and loss advantage well, we spoke a little bit about it earlier on in the show and i think it definitely does I think not playing on Thursdays and then having to play again on the weekend will definitely give them an advantage. If you're sporting, you're looking at the teams who are around you and you're looking at Braga, Porto, Benfica, all three of those are involved in European competition and all three of those have qualified uh, for the knockout rounds of the respective tournaments. Porto are in the UEFA Champions League and Braga and Benfica are in the Europa League. It's very demanding um, whether you're playing as Porto are on a Tuesday or a Wednesday, and then a Thursday if you're in the Europa League, and then having to play on the weekend. And once you get into that full swing of it, when the knockouts are commencing, the two legs, it can seem constant. How far those teams will go in Europe, we can only guess, we can only you know, speculate. 
But from a sporting perspective, they'll be hoping those teams can stay in as long as possible without winning it. Uh, and that keeps keeps them, their legs uh, a little bit more tired and it keeps Sporting get that one week rest in between games uh, to keep fresh. So if they can avoid injuries, definitely being out of Europe is a huge advantage this season. The next question is from footballers Imatadors. It says, with the additions of Elise and Cannon, so that's Albert Elise and Reggie Cannon, will MLS become a new shopping ground for Liga Nos? Hashtag the postbox. I think potentially, yes. And I wouldn't see why not. I think the MLS is growing and the American pool of football players is growing. It was always going to be the case with a country uh, that size. I know Albert Elise is a Honduran, but players playing in the MLS who will gradually move to Europe. Portugal, they'll be seeing this league as a good stepping stone, uh, a chance to mix with a real melting pot of talent. There's lots of South American, uh, European talent in Portugal. And yeah, players come from all over. We're seeing now with lots of English players coming to Portugal, seeing it as that next step in their career to develop and you know play in a side that wants to play good football and play for one of the top teams. Um, participate in the UEFA Champions League, the UEFA Europa League, and I don't see why the talent from the MLS wouldn't do the same thing, the North American talent, especially for those who uh, are eligible to play for the United States, the, the American talents, because it's good for the national side if these players are playing week in, week out in, in a European league, and we're seeing this explosion of North American talents, especially recently. And so, yeah, we'll keep an eye on it and we'll see how it goes, but... I, I definitely don't think that uh, Albert Elise and Reggie Cannon are the last two players to come from the MLS whatsoever. Tom, any thoughts on that one? MLS, Liga Nosh? It's interesting, isn't it? I think perhaps, uh, I, I agree exactly what, you, what you're saying there, Aaron, that I think Portugal is you know, a really good kind of breeding ground for especially young players to come and also players who perhaps have got good potential but haven't really... You know, it'd be very difficult to go straight to one of the, you know, the more high-profile leagues. And I think we see that, for instance, with the, with the Iranian footballers who have come recently. And uh, we had, for instance, the, you know, of course, uh, Mehdi Taremi, who had a fantastic season. You know, one of the best players, I'd say, uh, in Portuguese in Portugal last season. And uh, it was interesting because he came, and then we've got Amir, the the Maritimo goalkeeper. And you also had Mohammed at uh, last season, uh, and they were, you know, all players who did did quite well. And uh, we did an interview with uh, with the uh, Maritimo goalkeeper, and he was saying that, uh, you know, more and more, more and more uh, footballers in Iran are looking to come to Portugal. They'd never really even thought about it before, and uh, and now, you know, that's kind of opened their eyes. And they see what a good league it is potentially to develop. And I think the same will go for American uh, footballers. And it's very interesting, of course. Uh, I think perhaps the, the profile or the, the knowledge about Portuguese football has been helped by a couple of the players going the other way uh, who have done very well. Uh, of course, Nani, uh, he went to America. At the end. Of course, nobody, everyone knows about, about Nani, but you have to remember he was playing in Portugal before he went to the States. And, uh, you know, he's done fantastically well there. And another player who has done really well there is Pedro Santos, uh, you know, former Braga forward or midfielder forward who just can't stop scoring there. So 
I think in you know in you can imagine the MLS uh, you know football community there looking at those players and probably thinking yeah you know Portugal has good good quality good quality footballers there you know maybe we should try our look there and uh, and of course a lot will depend on how uh, Reggie Cannon does you know I know he's got quite a big reputation but obviously you know they've made a big investment they're struggling really to uh, you know, to, to get that working at the moment. But if they manage to turn that round and he does do well here, then for sure, you know, I think that could, uh, you know, open the floodgates, as you say, because Portugal is a country which is very welcoming to foreign footballers. They've got actually very lax rules compared to some of the other European, you know, some of the other big leagues in terms of, uh, you know, number of foreign players who each club can, can contract. Uh, it seems to be basically limitless. <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think let's see how that turns out. But it's certainly a, you know, one to keep an eye on. That takes us nicely onto the next question. Staying on the theme of Boavista, uh, at no username 8765, great name, uh, said, what what's happening at Boavista? Eight games without a win in the league. Could Gesualdo Ferreira be out of a job soon? Um, let you start off with that one, Tom. Yeah. Well, just on Ferreira, just as well to Ferreira, I think that would be a bit harsh because uh, eight games about to win, uh, but I don't think he's been in charge for eight games. Uh, if memory serves no, me right, maybe. Definitely not. <laughs> he came from eight, Brazil eight. fairly recently. Yeah, yeah. He was at uh, Santos. Yeah. So he's probably, yeah. I don't know, maybe he's played four or five or something. But uh, And they were, you know, it's it's a very interesting project for Avista, of course, very historic. Uh, Portuguese club, one of the only clubs outside the big three, one of only two clubs outside the big three to have won the, the Portuguese league, and you know, relatively recently, I suppose you can say, up to 2000. And so, uh, and so, yeah, then they of course plummeted, you know, really badly because of kind of financial mismanagement and also, um, well, we won't go into all of that, but <laughs> as well. But anyway, it's good to see them back, you know, because they are a big club with a, you know, fantastic stadium, very unusual stadium by Portuguese standards as well. It's kind of a, it looks more like an English stadium where the stands really on top of the on top of the pitch, and uh, you know, very good derby of course, uh, Boavista Porto Porto Boavista. That's always a tough game for for Porto. It doesn't really matter where Boavista are in in the league, and uh, so it's good to see them back. But yeah, they have. Uh, they have been consolidating slowly, and this season there's a lot of excitement because of this, you know, this new project where you just mentioned Lille. There, they've been bought by I think the owner of Lille, or uh, and uh, I think Luis Campos was also involved in the project, you know, bringing in new players, and they just brought in a whole raft of players and some some very big names as well, you know, uh, yeah. Javi Garcia, of course, the ex uh, Benfica player, Manchester City. Player very successful in his time here at Benfica. Uh, you know, uh, Rami, the France uh, World Cup uh, winning player, isn't it? Or in, in, in the France squad. Uh, and so, uh, and, uh, you know, some interesting younger players, like you just mentioned a couple of them, of course, there, Andrew Gomez and, and Cannon and Reggie Cannon. So, you know, there was a lot of excitement seeing what both Boavista could do, and they've just been absolutely disastrous. It's been a very strange season because they're actually lying bottom now. And I think they've only won one or two uh, all season in the league. 
and one of their wins was a, an absolute free or <laughs> something of Benfica. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> incredible because they played really well that game, really outplayed Benfica from start to finish. You know, uh, Angel Gomez is just, you know, in a short time here, you can see he's a really, really classy player. And, you know, he's got so much to offer, really great to watch, so talented. He scored an absolute worldie, didn't he? Uh, he did. Yeah, from how 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 far out? Yeah. Ridiculous. I think it was in his own <laughs> or maybe yeah. just in the opposite. Just inside. Yeah, yeah. It was an incredible goal, and uh, you know he showed it. I remember in that in that game against Benfica, and you know, and even the first game, I think the first game of the season against Nacional, I remember watched that as well, and he was absolutely brilliant in that. So they've got some great players, but they're just not putting it together at all as a team especially defensively, you know, they look really shaky defensively. It's just Wilder Ferreira, a hugely experienced coach, uh, has been very successful in his career, you know, especially at Porto. He still remains the only Portuguese coach to have won three league titles uh, in a row to that at Porto. And, uh, and he, you know, he's been all over the place, been all over the world. He's also coached uh, Benfica and Sporting, of course. So you would have thought that that's a you know, a good appointment with all his experience, he can kind of bang that that team into shape. But uh, it's always difficult, of course, when you when you bring in so many different players and also different nationalities. You can't really expect them to gel, uh, you know, very quickly. But that said, there's no doubt about it that uh, you know, but with Easter, with all this investment they made, they certainly wouldn't be expecting to to, to be propping up the table uh, at this point in time. I think they've just got to be patient. I think Josualdo yeah. uh, he is a very good coach. They have obviously got some very good players there. Uh, they've just got to be patient. I've, you know, this season's kind of any thoughts which they may have had at the start of the season to, you know, be challenging near the top, perhaps even, you know, uh, getting into the tussle for a European place. Okay, you can knock that on the head now, and it's just a, a question of sorting it out and really trying to build for next season. But I think if they stick with Josualdo. I would certainly expect them to, you know, to push at the table in in the second half of the season. Yeah, I thoroughly agree with you there, Tom. I think if you're looking at Gisvaldo Ferreira's form since he's came in, he's been in charge for five games. They haven't won a game yet, which is the alarming thing. But have only lost twice, drawn three. First game in the first game under his tenure was uh, the one all draw away at Passos de Ferreira, which in hindsight, is is a good point. They're playing very well. Uh, then, obviously, it was the 4-1 loss to Braga, which was disappointing. But then, back-to-back draws, uh, 0-0 with Maricimo, and then the 1-1 with Santa Clara. And then, obviously, uh, the really disappointing result on the weekend, uh, 3-1 to Tondela. But, again, they went down to nine men within half an hour, so they sort of exhausted any chance of getting anything from that. I think the best thing to do would be to stick, which is, well, though, Ferreira, he hasn't shown... Um, just quite what he's capable of yet, but they've got a good squad, and you'd think that over time, with some defensive drilling, uh, they'd start to rise up the table a little bit, given that combination of a top manager and uh, a good set of players, certainly a better set of players than some of the teams in the league. So we'll we'll watch that one with interest. Just finally, um, 
we've got a question from Johnny Alves, uh, who's a big fan of the show. He sends a, he sends in questions frequently, and um, yeah, he's a great follower of the podcast. So again, thank you, Johnny, for your continued support. He said a personal question: What inspired both of you to cover Portuguese football specifically? Now, I'll start off. I could probably answer that over about an hour or two, Johnny. To be honest, and that probably wouldn't still. Um, fully summarise it, so I'll try and keep it short. Um, what inspired me to cover Portuguese football? Well, the before you started, before I started covering Portuguese football, uh, it was just a passion for Portuguese football. So before I'd ever uh, picked up a pen to, to write about it or uh, opened up a laptop to to air my thoughts out to the world, it was more so just me enjoying it from a fan's perspective. Uh, that was and. Ha- that's a different question entirely. That's something I've been into since, for as long as I can remember, uh, since 2003, 04, uh, perhaps even earlier. And yeah, I was just, I was, I was hooked in. And as a child, sometimes you can get hooked into things, and then you know you you, you get over it, and then you obsess over something else and something else, and you go through various phases. But Portuguese football was, or oh, just something that always stuck with me. And then. But yeah, I got to 18, 19. I started travelling over to Portugal to watch games and um, it become a lot easier to, to get hold of Portuguese football, especially you know online. With living in England, I'm not as close to the action. Uh, but that's something that you know hopefully changes in the next couple of years. So, But then, yeah, the decision to start writing about it was I was inspired by those around me. I was inspired by the likes of Tom, uh, who... You know, lives in Portugal and and is um you know he lives and works over there and he has a this huge passion for Portuguese football and that's something that I identified with and then just seeing uh, people in the industry as well on TV the likes of um, James Richardson James Horncastle these these people who are interested in leagues you know away from from England away from Premier League the FA Cup they were more interested in. In more foreign affairs, so and that sort of just inspired me to to start writing about it just as a hobby, and it turned out that you know people were into it. So yeah, that's sort of where I am today. And Tom, what about yourself? Uh, yeah, it's a fantastic story that is, Aaron. I really I'm always fascinated by people like yourself, and uh, I've also met a few through uh, you know through doing this people like Nathan Motes as well, who have no. Uh, Portuguese heritage, you know, no Portuguese family, and just fall in love with Portuguese football and, uh, you know, immerse themselves in it and become experts in it and, like yourself, provide a absolutely fantastic service for anybody else who wants to know about Portuguese football, you know, uh, who's, who's not Portuguese speaking or, you know, uh, in, in the English language, which obviously makes it accessible to just about anyone. And so, uh, yeah, it's, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, I really enjoy hearing those stories. Uh, as for me, it's more, uh, it's not too different in some ways, but um, I've got Portuguese heritage. My mother was actually Portuguese. And so uh, I was born and raised in England, football fanatic in England, but came over to Portugal quite often. And then uh, when I uh, finished my studies, I uh, decided to come over here for uh, a while longer just to uh, kind of get to know the country a bit better. Uh, and uh, well, I never left. <laughs> so uh, uh, now I really like uh, Portugal and uh, I'm settled here now. But uh, I brought over my football fanaticism, I suppose you could say, from uh, 
from England. That was always the thing I was most into in England. And when I came to Portugal, to be perfectly honest, I didn't know much about Portuguese football. <clears throat> that the mid nineties. But uh, you know, if anyone's a football fanatic, uh, Portugal is like a paradise. It's just uh, <laughs> everyone here or every other person <laughs> seems to be a football fanatic. You know, it's such a uh, it's, it's such a massive part of of society really here in Portugal. Uh, and so you know, I uh, soon got into into that kind of uh, you know fitted in in that respect anyway. And uh, and then just learned all about it, and it really was absolutely, you know, amazing. Uh, Portuguese football, just, just the history of it, the rivalries, uh, and the uh, the passion which people, you know, talk about it. And uh, and so and at this time also there wasn't much English language uh, news or views or reports or anything really about Portuguese football. This was way back, uh, you know, just when internet was starting at kind of early 2000s and so I started a, a, a site and then I was quite surprised when uh, you know, a few people started visiting it and then <clears throat> getting quite a lot of like-minded people who, you know, we would uh, end up, you know, swapping ideas and then there'd, uh, people asking also if they could contribute to the site and it just kind of grew and, uh, and mushroomed. And also, I was quite fortunate in that, if you think about it, Aaron, the last 20 years of Portuguese football, I think they've been without doubt the most high profile years for Portuguese football, you know, in its whole history. And that's, a, you know, it's had a, a fantastic history, Portuguese football. But these last 20 years, especially when you talk about the national team, you know, it's just been absolutely incredible. And of course, you've got arguably the, uh, well, one of the, not even arguably, is it one of the two best players in the world for the last two decades? Is Portuguese arguably the most high-profile player in the world? Uh, arguably the most high-profile manager in the world is Portuguese. Uh, the national team has been qualifying for every single tournament. They've gone far in a lot of these tournaments, and of course, culminating in the the win in 2016 at the Euros. And so, you know, Portuguese football has really been on the up. So it was kind of and, you know, it was, it was really, uh, you know, like like you said, it started off as a hobby, but then it just got kind of deeper and deeper into it. And uh, it was kind of a lucky coincidence that that, you know, as the the interest in Portuguese football uh, grew, then, uh, then, you know, the whole kind of market and, uh, and I suppose you could say the thirst or the hunger for the news and for... Uh, you know, opinions and for uh, information about Portuguese football also grew. And so, uh, so yeah, I, you know, that's basically it. A wonderful story and especially going back back home to sort of, although born and raised in England, you went back to sort of reconnect with the roots, especially on your mother's side. And then, as you say, you uh, you went to experience it and didn't leave. And that, that tells you all you need to know about the country of Portugal. So if anyone's listening, uh, hasn't made the... They venture over to Portugal for whatever reason. Obviously, at the moment, um, it's very difficult with what's going on. So, again, we we hope um, you know the the issue sort of resolves over the next well for the next year, twenty twenty one, and hopefully twenty twenty two. We're sort of uh, out of the woods a little bit, and then yeah, if, uh, I'm sure I'll be back over to Portugal as soon as 
I'm allowed, basically. I'm uh, I'm itching to go back over. I haven't been over since. Um, when was I over last? In September. Yeah, I think yeah, oh, yeah, September, October. I think so. Anyway, I was over for the um, for the sub vintium for the for the under twenty one game, the Celestial. So that was that was good. Obviously, as you say, meeting up with like minded people. It's always good to meet up with the likes of yourself and. And um, the friends that you've got over on that side, and it is something that connects a lot of people. And you can see, I mean, even through your following on social media and, and the website, is just how many people it connects with. Um, so as as I say as well to everyone else, uh, Tom, you can get at Tom um, through the website Portugal. Um, you can get Adam on Twitter. I think it's Portugal One, is it, Tom? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Portugal, and then the number one. He paved the way for, for someone like me. So it's always great to, to link up and do a, a nice uh, Prossima Jornada in Portugal uh, collaboration, <laughs> which is, um, yeah, always good. But Tom, I'd just like to thank you for coming on. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. I'm sure we'll, uh, when we get the time to do a longer version as well, we'll, we'll um, yeah, we'll catch up and we'll just talk again. But thank you for coming on. No problem. No problem, Aaron. And well done. I've said it before. You're absolutely prolific <laughs> as, a, uh, as a producer of uh, you know really good quality content for people who uh, you know are into Portuguese football so you know really uh, pleased that you started this show and uh, you know, wish you all the best of luck with it and I'm sure that it will be a huge success and that ladies and gentlemen is episode number two of the Portuguese football show ended with some really nice words from Tom Cundit there Again, a big thanks to Tom for coming on and taking time out of his busy schedule to speak to me. Uh, I hope everybody enjoyed the podcast. If you did, give it a share, give it a retweet, you know, send it to a friend, send it to a family member, anyone that you might think would be into this kind of thing. Leave it a review if you're listening on Apple Music, uh, Apple Podcasts rather. And um, yeah, just share it about. The more listens it gets, the better the reviews, the more traction we get. And it just helps to make the podcast grow and become better. Uh, so every single retweet, like, share, that all means the world to me, uh, means the world to what I'm trying to build. So thank you very much for listening. Uh, if you've stuck right to the end, I do really appreciate you taking the time out uh, to listen. So thank you very much, and I'll see you all for episode number three of the Portuguese Football Show. Mm-hmm.